0: You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. All right, read with me in Proverbs. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does good to him and not harm all the days of her life. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than to live in a household shared with a quarrelsome wife. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will, not, he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compassion. He will, refuse, he will refuse, though you multiply gifts. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should, should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for, you, sorry, let them be for yourself alone, and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast be, fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, Pat. Can we thank the Lord for Pat and Steph and Sarah and the team leading us uh, this morning? Wonderful to be with you. If we haven't had a chance to meet, uh, my name is Guy, and as Pat mentioned, I have the joy and privilege of serving as the pastor of City on Hill, a church committed to knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. And I love that I get to visit here today. I'm so thankful for this church. Uh, Melbourne East has a uh, a special place uh, in my heart. Uh, I was born and raised uh, in eastern suburbs of Melbourne, in Box Hill and Surrey Hills, live with my wife and family now. In Mitcham. So, really thankful for all uh, that the Lord is doing in this church. Thankful for Nick and his leadership, for Jules, uh, who my wife works with, and uh, very thankful uh, for all that God is doing here. Uh, this morning, we are continuing in this uh, highly practical, timeless, and timely book, uh, the book of Proverbs, uh, where the scene is set, isn't it, in the opening chapter with a father sitting with his son, uh, teaching him about life, sharing his experience. He's, he's a father who wants his son to live well, to make wise decisions. And already we've looked at a, a host of very practical and important topics. We've talked about uh, the importance of friendship. Uh, we've talked about managing uh, finances and wealth, and we've talked about family. This morning, the father sits down with his son to have an honest fireside chat about marriage. Uh, You know, as I'm married to to Vanessa, we have uh, four children, two boys, two girls and a rabbit. Uh, It's a big active household. And we love over the family table to bore our kids to death with stories about how I met my wife, Vanessa. You know, get the wedding album open. It was the year 1997. Anyone remember the 90s? 1997 was a great year in Australia. Pat Rafter won the US Open. Uh, What else was happening? Seinfeld was at the top of the charts in terms of TV. Backstreet Boys, who can remember the Backstreet Boys? Uh, And interestingly, you could get a a coffee, a large latte in Melbourne for less than two bucks. I mean, this was a good time to be alive. Uh, I was 18 years of age, just got my pea plates And uh, a friend of mine, a Christian girl, uh, got news. She had a big house, two-story house, pool, tennis court. She got news that her her parents were going to be away for the weekend. And so we had the house to ourselves, which to a group of teenagers, 18-year-olds, you know, Christians could mean one thing and one thing only, board games. (laughs) And so there I was with my WWJD wristband uh, in the living room, uh, the parents playing a wild game of Jenga. Right, who remembers Jenga? It's like that tower, big tower blocks. You've got to remove a piece. And if it remains, you remain. If it falls down, you're out. And so for most people, it's just a harmless, casual game. For me, this is the closest I get to the Olympics. So I am like focused. I've got to win this. And one by one, people are being eliminated until there are just two people left. Me and a giggly young girl with a beautiful smile named Vanessa. And as she kicks back her hair, and goes to take her peace. I look at her, and in that moment, I think to myself, I'm gonna destroy you. <laughs> and sure enough, the tower comes down, but only on my turn, she wins. But more importantly, a relationship was born. No mood lighting, no candles, no Michael Bublé playing in the background, uh, just two people having some fun together. This year, we celebrated uh, 21 years of marriage together, and we're very thankful for that. Uh, Vanessa's mum congratulated me, saying, and we thought you'd never make it. Uh, (laughs) Of course, she said it tongue-in-cheek. But she knows, as we all know, and some of us may not know, that marriage doesn't come with any guarantees. Uh, It's a wild adventure. It's a a ride. There are many fantastic moments where you're at the top of the mountain. Then there are some many challenging moments where, to be honest, both of us were unsure whether we would make it through. Uh, and so the question that you know, Proverbs is going to ask is, well, how do you build a, a marriage that lasts? And, and, and maybe if you're, if you're looking for marriage, well, who should I be looking for if I'm wanting to, to get married? How do I know if they're the one? They're the kind of questions that Proverbs is kind of exploring and I'd love you to put in your questions as well. Love Q&A, so make sure you send that through. To help navigate our time together, here's the headings for you note-takers. I want to talk about the blessing of marriage the pursuit of marriage, the marks of marriage, and the hope in marriage. So we'll begin with the blessing of marriage. So in Proverbs 18, you would have heard this in the reading, the father says to his son, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favour from the Lord. Now, The word good speaks of this joy, this idea of happiness. Uh, In in Hebrew, it's actually connected to the word uh, prosperity and fulfillment. It it speaks of blessing. And so the father is saying to his son, son, hey, if if you find a good wife, you've found a good thing. Now, notice he doesn't say that marriage is the only thing. He doesn't say that marriage is the ultimate Thing. We know throughout the Bible, if we look at the Old and New Testament, there are many women, many men who live a full and flourishing life who don't get married. So please hear me say that marriage, the Bible's going to say to you that marriage is not the only thing, nor is it the ultimate thing, but the Father does say to the Son, it is a good thing. It's a good thing. Uh, and that's worth underscoring because in a post-Christian culture... Uh, you may have been told the exact opposite. So I remember at Bible college, one of my good mates, uh long-term girlfriend, you know, they, they get engaged. And he shares that with me. I'm like, wow, we should go celebrate. We go to the local pub, as every good Bible student does. And I kid you not, he kind of goes on in and he talks to the barman. And he knew the barman there. He says, guess what? You know, what? I, I'm getting married. And without skipping a beat, the barman turns to him and says, why on earth would you do something as stupid as that? Right and and because that's the cultural narrative, particularly to, aimed at young men today. Marriage is a stupid thing. Uh, if you want to be bored and frustrated, get married. If you want to be happy, remain free, remain single. Because happiness in our culture is what it's it's love without commitments, uh, it's freedom without uh, without sacrifice. It's getting to do whatever you want. This is where listen Proverbs is so countercultural. Uh, He does not tell his young son to avoid marriage. The message is not stay single as long as you can. The father says, son, marriage is a good thing. Right? Again, not the ultimate thing, not the only thing, a good thing. And, And this idea of it being good takes us all the way to Genesis, doesn't it? Genesis chapter one. For those of you familiar with the Bible, will know that when God made the world, he said what? It's good. Creation is good. The sun, the stars, it's good. One thing that was not good, in fact, the first thing we're told in the Bible that is not good, he says to Adam, is not good that you're alone. And so what is the solution to Adam's aloneness? It's not a few beers and a trip to Vegas. It's not a few extra tools for the shed. No, he creates for Adam a helper named Eve. We see this in Genesis. He says, But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place and flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I love this scene love this moment you know here she is she steps out of the limo the whole scene for me goes in a slow mo as he sees her for the first time and he says bone of my bone flesh of my flesh in hebrew a lot of commentators will tell you that this is like poetic singing he's just fueled with with joy at the sight of eve that he starts singing guys if you go out on a date and you see you meet someone you like just start singing Right, She may think you're crazy. At least you can say you're being biblical, right? Now, I know some women, when they read this text, will, will be a little bit concerned, not exactly thrilled by the idea that she's Adam's helper. At least that's what the Bible says, she's Adam's helper. Women are not thrilled by that, and there's good reason for that. It is worth noting, however, that the same word in the Old Testament is used for God himself, So that when God comes alongside as the helper of Israel, as their strength, as their ally, uh, as their warrior king. So Eve is described and purposed to be this helper, this ally, this warrior king for Adam. And to say that Eve is Adam's helper is also to point out what women have known for a very long time. And that is that men need help. Right, will men admit that they need help? Probably not, but it's true, and again, this is why the father is saying to the son, Son, marriage is a good thing because her gifts are going to complement your gifts, her wisdom and insight and knowledge is going to help you navigate difficult decisions and make wise choices, her faith. Her love for God is going to inspire you and help you live well. Now, of course, Proverbs is kind of geared like a father to a son, but we could say similar things, couldn't we, to to women. I have two young daughters myself, and should they choose to get married, I want them to know that marriage is a good thing and that a husband is there to serve, to sacrifice himself for his bride, To cheer her on, to fight for her, to pray for her, to serve her, to help her fly and flourish. Is marriage the only thing? No. But it's a good thing. It's a good thing. This leads to the second heading for today. For those who choose marriage, it's a good thing. Let's then talk about the pursuit of marriage. Suppose you're here and you decide you want to get married... The question then that confronts us all is then, well, well, who should I be seeking? And this is where the digital age has radically transformed the, the landscape. Um, pretty much everybody meeting on now is meeting initially, at least, online, and we know that. And, and there's a lot of upside uh, to dating apps. You know, you can connect with anybody now, you know, with a swipe of a finger and that you can meet people who are on a very similar journey anywhere and everywhere, all of that. And, but we all know there's a catch with that. There's a catch. More and more people are now judging their future husband and their future wife based on the quality of a profile pic, uh, according to recent study on dating apps, the number one attribute that people are now looking for is, of course, appearance. What does that mean? It means that people are not only scrambling to find the best profile pic that they can get, but even more concerning, uh, a very small number of people are getting all the attention, while thousands of amazing people are being Overlooked. Now, is it a sin to seek out someone you're physically attracted to without considering their character? No, it's just dumb. (laughs) Look at the warning, the poetic warning that the father gives to the son. He says, son, here's the deal. A woman who is beautiful but lacks discretion is like a gold ring in a pig's snout. It's a great image. <laughs> right? He's got to say things to get his son to listen, right? Beauty's like a gold ring. It's valuable. It shines. It gets our attention. You want to reach out and grab it. But only an idiot would take hold of a gold ring that's attached to a pig's snout. Now I know in some cultures, the pig is a revered animal. Be careful here. I love pigs. If we didn't have pigs, we wouldn't have bacon. I'm very, very happy. But in Jewish culture, the pig was loath. The point is, it doesn't matter if you think your girlfriend is hot, if she's cruel and selfish and unkind, let go and walk away. Same can be said to the women here, when you think about a man. It just like, he's got arms like Thor. Wow. Bank account the size of Elon Musk. Amazing. But is he a jerk? Is he controlling? Is he manipulative? Is it all about him? Does he treat? walk away. Walk away. Proverbs will tell you that beauty is not just fleeting, though it is, but often deceptive. Beauty is fleeting, but often deceptive. So what does that mean? Well, at the very least, listen here, when it comes to dating, don't let physical appearance be the lens through which you judge and evaluate your future husband and wife. Put that positively. Give people a go. Get to know people. You know, we we explore the topic of friend. Build friendship with people. Um, Vanessa and I met when we were very young. We were eighteen. We weren't dating for like the first second years of us together. We were great mates. Sometimes we were hanging out with groups of other people. Sometimes it was one-to-one. But we just hung out with one another. Why? Because you don't just want to see the other person. You want to see who they are. You want to discover a person. Uh, do you know when I knew that Vanessa was the one? When I knew in my heart this? is the It's a very romantic story. I had gastro like really bad. And so bad I was at the emergency room of the hospital, bad. I know people like want well, a hot partner. I was a hot mess. And um, here I am with the, like the, what, are you, what is this thing? IV drip stuck in. I'm on the bed. There's vomit and spew everywhere. Like it's a total mess. And in walks to the, my hospital room, Vanessa. And she's not wearing a stunning red dress. She hasn't just done her hair and makeup, but she's there. Emits the vomit and spew, she sits down, she puts her hand on my hand, and in my heart, I'm like, "This woman I want to marry." Right? Why? Because marriage is not a photo shoot. <laughs> marriage is a lot of vomit and spew that you share together. There's kisses and there's hugs, but a lot of vomit and spew. So so what then are the kind of characteristics or qualities you want to be looking for? If, if beauty is deceptive and, and fleeting, well, what, how do, like, what are the things in a, the heart of a person, the soul of a person that we should be seeking? Well, of course, Proverbs is full of wisdom and insight here. And there's a lot of places we could go. A lot of people go to Proverbs 31. Lots of things there where, again, the father's talking to a son. Here it's about an excellent wife. And there's lots of things here. He says, for example, uh, you know, an excellent wife does him good. And not harm all the days of her life. In other words, you want to be looking for someone who's trustworthy and reliable, who seeks your good. Not trying to extract everything from you, but they're wanting to add value to your life. Verse 15 says, She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it with the fruit of her hands. She plants a vineyard. Right, So the wife in Proverbs isn't sitting around powdering her nose. She's hardworking. She's diligent. She's intelligent. She's, she's working the market. She's trading. She's buying. And this is what I love. She not only generates wealth for the household, which is awesome, but she has this disposition of, of care and compassion and generosity to others. See this in verse 20. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. Right that's incredible. She's got this heart of justice, she's got this heart of care, she's got this heart of compassion and, and this of course goes hand in hand with her words of wisdom. He says she opens her mouth with with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Now is Proverbs 31 a realistic or attainable vision for women and men? Not exactly. And and it's helpful to know, and maybe you've covered this already, but Proverbs 31 is, is in many ways or well, primarily a personification of wisdom. It's a picture of the good life, the, the true righteous life. That said, it does clue us into the kind of qualities and characteristics that we might want to pursue in a husband and, or wife. And, and what is at the top of the tree? Now I've covered you know, generosity and truth, Like, but what is at the top of the tree? Well, the end of Proverbs 31, the father says, Son, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. A woman who fears the Lord, who loves the Lord, who trusts the Lord, who, who pursues the Lord. A woman who puts the Lord first is to be praised. Now, one of the questions I often get as a pastor is whether it's okay to date someone who isn't a Christian. Um, The truth is you won't find a direct command about that in the Bible. The Ten Commandments don't say, thy shall not date a non-Christian, right? You're not going to find that. But this is where Proverbs is helpful because Proverbs is less concerned with laws and more concerned with wisdom. So is dating an unbeliever a sin? No. It's just really, really dumb. Why? Like, Think this through. Because if you get to the point in a dating relationship where you'd like to marry your boyfriend or girlfriend, you will be faced with a heartbreaking dilemma. You need to break up, which devastates them and yourself, or you now enter into a lifelong commitment, namely marriage, with someone you know doesn't share what is most important in your life, namely your faith in Jesus. Right? They don't believe what you believe. They can't practice with integrity what you practice. They don't worship what you worship. And so either you compromise the unity of the marriage It's always a little bit of distance or you compromise the integrity of your faith. Husband moves in, Jesus moves out. Now, are there exceptions to this? Of course, but given the choice, given the choice, a wise man, a wise woman seeks a person who fears the Lord more than money, more than beauty. More than status, more than family, you want someone who loves Jesus. You want someone who loves Jesus. Uh, This leads to a third point, the marks of marriage. Because the, the writer in Proverbs, not only teaching us about the kind of characteristics we might look for, but also the marks of a healthy marriage... Maybe you've been married many years here. Like, what what should that marriage look like? What are the sort of things I should press in to strengthen the marriage that I have? Um, Well, there are a lot of things that Proverbs is going to speak into. For example, in Proverbs 12, he says, Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue only lasts a moment. Deceit is in the hearts of those who plot evil, but those who promote peace have joy. So if you want joy in marriage. Proverbs saying you need to promote peace or uh, one of my favourite Proverbs, Proverbs 21 verse 9 which Pat read out, the father says to his son, better to live on a corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Anyone slept on the roof lately? (laughs) Now this proverb could be read as a bit of a warning to the son to like steer clear of anyone who just likes to fight all the time. But when it comes to marriage, everybody knows that the question is not if you fight, but when and how you fight. Uh, I remember one Friday afternoon, it was a long week, hot day, I was a bit exhausted. And for whatever reason, Vanessa and I just got at each other. Just bickering and quarreling and just at each other in in this kind of way. I don't even remember what we were fighting about. And, and sometimes that's when you know you're married, you don't know what you're fighting about, you're just arguing with one another. And, you know, I just was, I just didn't, it was one of those days where I just didn't have the emotional energy, and I was just like, just firing off defensive arrows, thinking that would help, <laughs> never does, put up, that didn't help. I kid you not, it was just getting to this moment where I was so frustrated, I kid you not, I went outside and I climbed the roof. I, this is in, I used to live in, we had a rental in Surrey Hills, and I literally climbed our roof, and I sat on the roof, it was a long Friday afternoon, and I sat up there, the sun's going down, it was a hot day, and I'm just sitting there like a grumpy kid, you know, just with my arms crossed, a little, you know, frustrated about where, what was going on, and I have no idea what the neighbours thought walking past, if they'd have been reading Proverbs, they knew. And and as I'm sitting there, like in my own frustration, like, you know, angry, and and I'm seeing the sun, I'm like, oh, this reminds me of a Bible verse somewhere. I think it's Ephesians chapter four, we bring that up. Yeah, do not let the sun go down on your anger. <laughs> that was literally what was taking place. I was watching the sun go down. So what is the response of a husband in that moment? Of course, it's to step off the roof. <laughs> it's to lean in. Uh, it's, it's to understand, well, why is my wife upset? It's to ask honest questions. And it's not to fire off defensive arrows. It's to listen and learn and, and seek peace. Sometimes that can be accomplished in, in one conversation, can't it? You, know, you work it out. You say, I'm sorry for this. She says, I'm sorry for that. And you hug and it's great. Sometimes it needs multiple conversations. Sometimes it needs a third party. Someone who can kind of untie the spaghetti soup and help you think through. But the important piece is that a godly husband, a godly wife is there to to pursue peace. And of course, this is where grace is so important in marriage. Proverbs 17, love this. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven. I want a marriage where love prospers, right? Every, Every couple getting married, wants to say, yes, I want to love that prospers. But what people don't often appreciate is that requires the hard work of forgiveness. That comes with a recognition that I'm going to say some things that will hurt you. You're going to do some things that might hurt me. What am I going to do in that moment? Hold on to my bitterness? Keep you at arm's length? Not trust you? Remain guarded? Or will I drink from the well of God's grace? Well, I recognize I've been forgiven, so I can forgive you. Because you aren't perfect, I'm not perfect. You know, when a bride and groom get married, they look stunning. But really, strip it all away, it's one sinner and another sinner saying, I do. That two sinners together doesn't always equal happily ever after. Grace, grace, grace is crucial. You know what else you're going to need in marriage? A lot of affirmation and praise. Again, if we bring up that text from uh, 31, it says, favour is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that fears the Lord shall be praised. Husbands, do you praise your wife? Do you take time to be a student of your wife and see the ways in which she's glorifying God, pursuing Jesus, serving Jesus? And when you see that, do you, do you take a moment to say, praise the Lord. I, I saw the way you responded to that person or the way you served. And it just, man, that fueled me with joy. I'm so thankful for you. Did you take a moment to affirm her, to praise her? Equally, women here, do, do you praise your husband? I'm not saying that he should be perfect. None of us are perfect. But when you see that one moment of Christ's likeness in him, that one moment of, of shining joy where he's reading the Bible or sharing his faith or seeking to serve or helping out around the house. When you see that Christ-likeness, did you take a moment to say, man, I'm so thankful for you. I just love how God's at work in your life. And it's really, man, it's a, it's a joy to see how you've, right? Sometimes in marriage, it becomes, the longer you're with somebody, it becomes a really easy just to see what is wrong in the other person and what's wrong in the relationship. And couples get stuck in this downward spiral of criticism and cynicism. They can see a million and one... Even if you can just see a million and one wrong things in your partner right now, could I ask you just, just to put that aside for just a moment and say, is there one thing? And speak into that. Because what you celebrate, you create. If you tell a guy he's a loser... If you tell a guy he's nothing right that's what you're going to draw out of him if you tell your wife she's ordinary if you compare it like that you're just going to draw that out of her but tell him how much you love him and appreciate him tell her how much you delight in her and watch them fly proverbs i love this proverb um proverbs 18 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Think about that. If you're in a relationship right now, ask, am I sowing seeds of discouragement and death with my words? Or are my words building up, encouraging, and bringing life? And let me just say, I mean, you guys are going to spend a whole week on the topic of words, but let me just say that the idea of encouragement in marriage, it's not just to, to build them up, though it does that. It's about drawing you closer together. And that drawing together and that affirmation, that praise is so important when it comes to the intimacy that you were both, if you're married, were made to enjoy. Look at how Proverbs 5 links these two ideas together. It says, May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice... In the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. May you be intoxicated with her love. One of the surprising discoveries about Christianity is that God not only created marriage, but blessed the man and blessed the woman with the enjoyment of sex. And as you can see from that text, Right? Sex isn't just for procreation, sex is for delight, sex is for enjoyment. Now I know some of us grew up in church where sex was rarely talked about. Right? Or if people talked about sex in the church, it was often kind of diminished or demoted to something worldly or even sinful, you go to some churches where you just get confusing messages like sex is vile and gross. Save it for the one you love. <laughs> and so you walk out and you're like, what am I? Listen, when God made Adam, he fashioned him exactly how he wanted him to be. And that included strong arms, muscular chest, and brace yourself, a penis. Can we say that at church? We did send out the kids early, so that's okay. Right, listen, the penis was not a mistake. (laughs) See, it's going to keep happening. The penis was not an aftermarket add-on. The penis was not the devil's idea. God made Adam. Adam's like, well, what do I do with this? God's like, I made Eve. And who's Eve? She's beautiful. She's intelligent. She's creative. And she, like Adam, is also a sexual being, which means she has curves, which means she has breasts, which means she has a vagina. God made them. And whose idea was it to put the naked Adam in the garden with the naked Eve. Whose idea was that? It was God's idea. And what do you suppose naked Adam and naked Eve did in the garden? They prayed and read their Bibles. (laughs) After that, they had romantic, extended, passionate, loving sex. Uh, Why underscore that? Partly because it's biblical, but also cultural. If you've uh, watch Sex in the City, if you're TikToking Andrew Tate, you are going to be led to believe that the people who are uh, living the bachelor life are having the best sex ever. Right? That's the, just whoever you want, whenever you want, travel the world, like that's the best life. Even secular studies are going to show you that actually um, Married couples are not only having the most sex, but the best and most satisfying sex. Again, the Father is teaching the Son here how to live well. It's not saying that every married couple has awesome sex all the time. That ain't true, right? There can be seasons without sex, ordinary sex. But God has made us to come together in that way. And so what does that mean if you're a husband or wife? Well, let me just encourage you to pursue one another romantically, Intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, date your husband and wife, put love notes under the pillow, Uh, clean up the house without being asked, (laughs) Uh, take planned vacations, do a surprise night in the city, cuddle each other, Uh, light candles, spend time together and pursue the love that you had at first. Uh, Proverbs, he wants to pursue him that way. Of course, he also warns him. Uh, he warns him about counterfeit love and false love. Uh, he says, and this is really all through Proverbs, he says, for the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she's bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to death. To the grave. I mean, think about that image there. Her steps lead straight to the grave. Um, You know, perhaps you're here today and you're newly married. You might think, "I will never ever cheat on my husband or my wife." And and let's be honest, no couple getting married ever plans on having an affair. We just assume it's all going to be great and roses and honeymoons forever. Right, most marriages, most relationships start out with full affection and love. Well, what happens? Well, over time, like any relationship, without effort and pursuit, there can be a slow drift. And you start taking each other for granted. Uh, You stop dating your wife. You stop pursuing your husband. The pressures of life begin to push and pull. The challenges begin to mount on top of each other. And so what seems inconceivable at first, all of a sudden feels like a possibility. You see this in the musical Hamilton, don't you? You see in the musical Hamilton, right? It hinges on this political figure who's successful, who's creative, who's who's leading the world. You know all of these things, and yet enters the story or enters the voice of Maria Reynolds, who calls out for help, and it's her. His compassion kicks in, and her beauty kicks in, and he takes those steps into the grave. T- temptation in your life may come in the pursuit of another man, another woman. It may come in the temptation of what is in your mobile phone, the allure of pornography. It may come in the offer of a one-night stand. The message of Proverbs is it's going to be alluring. Just as Eve looked at the piece of fruit and it was pleasing to their eyes, so you need to be ready that it will be attractive to you, pleasing to you. But the voice of Proverbs is danger. (laughs) Be warned, you are digging your own grave. It doesn't end well. Pursue your wife, pursue your husband, remain faithful. Let's finish with the hope of marriage. Final point and then we'll jump into some q and I've been alive long enough and a pastor long enough to know that the topic of marriage can evoke a range of emotions and responses within us all. Um, it could be that you're here today you know, with your husband or wife and you're in a great season and you just you know, hold each other's hands and this is a, it's just like thankfulness. And that's great. Uh, it's great that you can be thankful and we praise the Lord for that. But I'm sure for some, if not many of us, the topic of marriage can also awaken within us deep sense of longing. Uh, You know, you hear the great qualities of a great husband and wife, and you say, yes, I want that. Uh, I need that. But then we look at our lives, and what do we see? We see nothing. We say, I don't have the marriage that the Bible lifts up. And maybe you once had it, and it fell apart. Or maybe it was never there to begin with. But either way, you find yourself looking on from a distance. Or... Perhaps you are here today and you are married, but your marriage is anything but what you'd hoped and dreamt for. And maybe that's partly due to something your husband or wife did. They did something or have been doing something or there's a habit there or behavior there or words there that are creating distance. Or maybe maybe you see something in yourself. And maybe you realize that you haven't been that great husband or you haven't been that great wife. Maybe you didn't love at all times. Maybe your truth was always cloaked with deceit. Maybe you've fallen in sin. Where do we go with that? What do we do with our own failings in marriage, in relationships? Where do we go with our longings for marriage, for relationships? You know, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you know, share for us the story of Jesus. And John's Gospel, which is, I don't know if you can have favorite Gospels, but it's probably my favorite, you know, it shares with us a host of different miracles that Jesus performed. Do you know where the first miracle of Jesus took place? Anyone? Pat knows. The wedding. Wedding of Cana. Interesting because John tells us at the end of the book that there were so many miracles that Jesus performed, he couldn't include them all, he had to be very selective in what he put into the book. Why start with this miracle at the wedding of Cana, which also, by the way, seems quite domestic. <laughs> right? he, he, you Just imagine yourself, we're all at a wedding at some fancy joint in the city, we're all, you know, men here, we're in our best suits, women are in the best outfits, hairs done, like, we're all there, we're having a great time, we're dancing. But then you hear that the bride and groom have run out of wine. And it's kind of early ish in the night. And so they're like getting a bit anxious and stressed. And they're now starting to bicker over in the corner somewhere. Oh, I asked you to order this much. And she's like, well, you said I could only spend this much. And they're, they're, they're like, every, on the day when everything is supposed to be perfect. They're now fighting and squabbling and things are beginning to, you know, the threads are starting to pull. And now the parents, they've got relatives there, they've brought friends from interstate, and they want the whole thing to work out perfectly as well. So they're getting frustrated about how things are going and the guests are starting to complain. And and here's Jesus in the midst of it all, in his best suit. And we know from John's gospel that it's not yet his time, and yet he's there. And, and he doesn't walk away from the situation. He doesn't say, oh, this is below me. No, Jesus is there and he, he turns to the hosts and he says, hey, see those six jars of purification over there? Yeah, could you, could you fetch them and, and fill them up with water? And they, and they fill them up with water, I'm sure of what's about to take place. And as they pour that water out of those six jars of purification, what do they see? What do they taste <laughs> The most beautiful, decadent, delightful red wine. This isn't your cask wine from Dan Murphy's. This, this is your top level stuff. The music starts playing again. The couple goes back on the dance floor. The celebration continues. Why does John include this? Well, in part, it's a declaration of Jesus' power, but also, look closely, it's a declaration of his transformative love. It's a declaration of Jesus' transformative love. Listen, Jesus can walk into the messiness of any relationship, the messiness of any wedding, the messiness of any marriage, and he... And he alone can turn water into wine. He can take a dry and dreary relationship and make it flow. He can take us and our relationships where we're feeling empty and he can fill them up. And that's not even the best part. Because the best part of this miracle is what it points us to. You know the six jars of purification? Those jars of purification were given by God for Israel to prepare them, to wash them, to make them whole, so that they might enter into the presence of God, so that they might enter into the temple, so that they might worship God. But here is Jesus with His transformative love, signaling that He is signaling that He's come to do something greater. Something that wouldn't just change the ceremony and practices, but something that would change and transform you and me. Listen, do you know what is true for every single person in this room? Whether you are married or single, here's what is true for us all. It is our deep thirst for love. Whether you are single or married, we all share a deep longing and thirst for love. Not a cheap love, not a counterfeit love, not a temporal love, but a deep life-changing love. A love that loves at all times. A love that is courageous enough to speak the truth. A love that is willing to meet whatever offence with forgiveness and grace. A love that protects And provides a a, a love that will fight for you, will stand with you, will work for you. Where do we find a love like that? Well, later in John's Gospel, as he had witnessed the many miracles and kindness and compassion of Jesus, he says, In this is love. Not that we have loved God but that He have loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Underneath, underneath all of our relationship difficulties, I feel like I, I'm, I'm tap dancing. Um, or someone's doing some works, whatever. It's good, it's good times. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> is this code? I, this is something you guys do. We don't do it at Melbourne Central. I don't know. Um, Underneath all of our difficulties in, in, in relationships, let's be honest, it, it isn't just technology, that would be, such, that'd be too easy of a solution. It isn't just busyness, it isn't... No, the root, like there's, there's symptoms of a root, deeper issue, namely sin. And what's sin? Sin is our ultimate denial of God and desire to do it our way. That's really what's at the heart of any broken relationship. And Jesus comes to make all things new. And here's what's amazing. Do you know at the end of the story, at the end of this adventure we are on called life, we don't. If you're in Jesus, we don't just go to heaven. We celebrate, and, and do you know what we celebrate? Anyone, the wedding supper of the Lamb. Revelation. That of all the images, of all the themes that God could put before his people. He says, I want you to be ready for the wedding supper of the Lamb. And so right now, think of that moment. Some of you may have had a wedding day and it was an absolute train wreck. Some of you may have never had the opportunity to have your own wedding day. I want you to know that if you are in Jesus, if you put your trust in Jesus, if you're trusting Jesus, God wants you to know that a wedding is coming. And you are invited. And on that day, we all in Christ will hear the wedding bells ring. And you will be dressed, if you're men, you'll be dressed in your finest suit. The women here in the most dazzling dresses. And then those bells will ring and we will enter into the hall of our King. And we will sing We will drink and we will celebrate and we will dance and more than anything else, you will enter into the love of God in the deepest, most profound and powerful way. Because here, listen, we only see in part, the Bible says, then you will know in full. Then you will know why you were created. Then you will say, I'm at home at last. Then you will taste and see and know that God is good. Have you ever wondered how the early church was able to endure through harsh times? How it was that Christians could remain faithful and endure in marriage? How it is that single Christian men and women could live very bold and adventurous and courageous lives? It's because at the heart, at the center, was the love of God, a love that we have now and that we look forward to. Pursue Jesus, love Jesus.